0: Hi, Patrice. Hey, how are you doing? All right. How is uh, Alaska?
1: It's great. It's raining and the air smells nice and I'm wearing a jacket, so that's pretty exciting.
0: (laughs) We're having a little heat wave here back on the East Coast. So your podcast has the distinction of, um, of being the only one so far where we actually had to record it twice.
1: I know. It uh, was kind of exciting. I got a <laughs> dress rehearsal.
0: That's right. Had a little technical difficulty, but uh, it actually came out just fine. Oh, that's great. the the other The other distinction your podcast has is uh, it was the podcast that caused me to give my podcast an explicit label. So that's exciting.
1: Oh man. Well, you can take the girl out of the bar, but you can't take the bar out of the girl.
0: So, in in this show, you you know, you you give some uh, pretty strong opinions on um the oil industry and politicians and Things like that. I just have to make it clear that uh, it, these are opinions being expressed.
1: I guess you guys kind of poked the bear and got me riled up.
0: <laughs> the other thing about this podcast, which is kind of funny, is um, there are uh, uh, children screaming in the background quite a bit, and I just want to make it clear that we're not torturing children during... No children were harmed during the recording of this podcast.
1: That's a good clarification. <laughs>
0: That's right. So, uh, announcements. Uh, did you screen your film, Mockingbird, Wish Me Luck? Or is that about to be screened?
1: Yeah, we screened the film at um, a local theater here in Juneau, and it was great. It was a packed house, and now we're submitting it to film festivals all over. Um, nice. And then um, we sh- we've been shooting a kind of short, I guess, documentary-style film here in town, and we kind of wrapped that up. So, Who's we? Uh, myself and then uh, my DP, uh, Federico Posati, who's helping me with that. And then I'm taking a ton of 4 by 5 photos, so that's that's really exciting. That's great. Yeah.
0: When do you come back?
1: I get back to the city like August 20th or so, and then I start uh, teaching the next week. Yeah. Oh,
0: where are you teaching? I'm going to
1: teach at Pratt. I'm going to teach a black and white photo class I'm really excited about.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah,
1: and, you know, just sniffing around for adjunct stuff like trying to make it work but i'm just thrilled that i get to keep living in the city
0: yeah well very nice thank you for uh calling in so we can make this intro
1: thanks a lot michael i hope you guys are uh, holding up in that heat
0: all right and we'll talk soon when you get back
1: okay take it easy
0: I got nothing. There's nothing there? No. I got that's nothing. That's
2: okay.
0: All right, we're going to start over. <laughs> you ready? Are you ready, Patrice? I'm ready. Yeah, I think that's all right. We can start over. <laughs> Mom! So <laughs> I'm usually an improviser. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're, yeah. Wait a minute!
2: Yeah. You are not an improviser! I'm an improviser. <laughs> all right, we've got to mm.
0: stop eating the pretzels now.
2: <laughs> I think... That, let's keep... Let's, keep yeah, let, let's get a... Can we get a... Let's get a... Just a... Maybe the backbeat of the whole interview is just right, like a pretzel
0: so, loop. So we're here with Patrice Helmar in her studio in New York City, which you are leaving very soon.
2: Yeah, I just graduated from the MFA program here at Columbia University, and this is my last week in the studio.
0: And you're moving back to, well, you're going back to Juneau, Alaska for a little bit. I'm
2: going home to Juneau, Alaska for a month, and then I'm I'm moving to the Bronx next week. Right. Uh, which yeah. part of the Bronx? Marble Hill, 225.
0: <laughs> You're giving out your address?
2: No, no, no. That's <laughs> oh. the subway stop. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to send me a letter, a donation, <laughs> <laughs> mail it to. Uh... That's right. Yeah. I, I. You know, in the tradition of a lot of like punk and and DIY houses, we've named the house. It's Fort Not Brooklyn. Okay, area? Fort, not <laughs> Brooklyn. Yeah. Right, right, right. And that's no dig at Brooklyn. Like I would love to it, live there, but I can't w- afford yes, to. Yes, of course. Yeah,
3: yeah it's the, I was. I was just there yesterday, um, and uh, it's just surprising how much the Dumbo area has changed. Yeah. And anyway, but
2: yeah, it's changed.
3: <laughs> but you grew up in Alaska.
2: I grew up in Alaska's capital in Juneau. Um, my family, my mom. Is fifth generation or fourth generation Alaska? I'm fifth generation. My dad is from Boston. Kind of a big, big migration story here. Sure. You know, for me.
3: Sure. And um, why? How come your, fa- your father ended up in uh, in uh, Alaska?
2: So he uh, grew up in the projects in South Boston, primarily, a little bit of time in Jamaica Plain. He joined the Air Force to get out of the projects, which seems crazy, but like most folks in poverty, even today, joined the military to go to college Mm -hmm. and to get out of their situation. So he did two tours of duty in Vietnam, and then with the GI Bill, uh, went to school in San Francisco and studied visual anthropology with John Collier, Jr., I think.
0: Who was an FSA photographer. FSA,
2: yep. Yeah. One of the photographers that worked with folks like Dorothea Lange and um, Walker Evans and in that tradition.
0: So so photography was in your family very early on.
2: Yeah. Big time. And my mom had also done like a two year commercial photography program where she was using a large format camera and doing portraits and um, photographing architecture. So they were both both into that. My mom less so um, after she had children and stuff. But they were, you know, they're both photographers. Okay.
0: So what was life like in Juneau, Alaska?
2: Well, I mean, it was great. As a kid, it's awesome. As a teenager, it's um, less awesome. But it's a, it's a wonderful place to be a child. Um, you can run around all over the place in the woods. Um, you know, you're constantly playing outside. My family uh, had a commercial fishing boat. We had like a 26-foot hand trawler, which is a really specific way of fishing for salmon. And we'd go out on openings, primarily during like the spring and summer. We'd fish for humpies, which are pink salmon.
3: Now, how does uh, a visual anthropologist end up uh, uh, being a a fisherman?
2: Well, you know, they got to make a living somehow, right? Right. I mean, it's not like you you don't hear of, it's not like visual anthropologist, engineer. (laughs) It's not necessarily like a... A real career path
3: I say see, I see. So. and and you were working with them on the boat um, as soon as you could uh. yeah
2: I mean I think mostly I was getting in the way mm. being a pain mm. in the butt but you know we helped out my brother and I were both really little kids my parents bought a, uh, a boat when they were dating and the name of the boat was The Honeymoon Tonight. Really? I swear to God, one of the guys that my mom worked with at the cold storage, which is like the fish packing plant, was this older Filipino gentleman that saw my parents together after a night out on the town and said, honeymoon tonight, you know, sort of just yelled, <laughs> yelled it at them from across the street. And that, that, was, Not the name, sweet. that was the name of their boat. And I, I just love that story. That's and, a great story. Th- yeah. yeah. The great thing about my parents, my dad was about 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five, he was a... Greek American, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was he was a, he was mutt, but his his grandmother had been Greek American, so he was he was a little guy. My mom was about five nine, and so they were really like quite a pair. So I like to imagine them sort of walking down the street in my in my town, <laughs> uh, you know, arm in arm. Just <laughs> you know, they they really they loved each other, and they were great parents, and um, you know, and I think I just really lucked out in that department. <laughs>
0: Did we get to how your father ended up in Alaska?
2: Yeah. he. So he, worked, he was hired to work on a crew for a documentary film that was funded by the government. They wanted to know why so many people were going up there to work. Right. People were making thousands of dollars a week. So people from all over the world, you know, there's a photograph of his that's in the Alaska State Library collection of these Irishmen. Standing in front of a camper, um, these electricians from Boston, just a whole crew of guys that went up there to work. Um, and you could really make your fortune, sort of like the gold rush days. Um,
0: this was when?
2: Right around 1974. So, so oil. Oil. Yeah. yeah, it was It was a, just a crazy time in um, in the state's history, and it's been different ever since the pipeline.
3: Changed everything for everyone up there everything yeah
2: yeah, and and continues to you know the oil industry now has um pretty much bankrupt the state mm-hmm. oil companies uh, bought off a lot of the politicians in Alaska and made it so that they no longer tax the oil industry the permanent fund I don't know if you guys have heard this but Alaskans get money every year just for living right. yes. in Alaska yeah, yeah. and that there are these pioneering politicians that weren't total douchebags <laughs> during the 70s that were really idealistic and thought that the people that lived in Alaska should benefit from that industry in right. some way and that's Part of the reason that I was able to afford to go to college is that my parents, who had grown up very um, you know, poor, to working class, every year would take my permanent fund and put it in the bank. And so um, that's where my college tuition...
0: And you're saying from. that when, that's gone away?
2: No, I mean, it's still there, but it's threatened. Oh. Okay. Because what happened just a couple years ago is that we used to tax the oil companies for right. everything that they would make. They'd have to give something back to the state. And we were one of the wealthiest, wealthiest states in the union in terms of money that we had for social programs or for building the roads. I mean, it's a tough place up there. So we need money for things like domestic violence. Yeah. Um, Fetal alcohol syndrome, all these problems that happen in Alaska, at least we had some money to throw at it. But what happened is that the lobbyists paid off a lot of the politicians that are more and more conservative, and they um, cut the tax. There's like no taxes now for oil companies. So now the state's in real trouble. Sure, sure. It's, it's a different place. Mm. And that's part of the reason why I decided to move to New York, because I just couldn't, you know, it wasn't, it's not necessarily the place I grew up anymore.
0: And so your family, is, a, is it a fishing family?
2: Well, I mean, not not really. My my mom fished as a young woman to be able to travel and, like, get the heck out of Alaska. It was a way to make a chunk of change, and she'd go to Europe or go down south for the summer. Um, but my mother's family, my grandfather, had done everything from being a territorial legislature a legislator to driving a cab to being a bartender. I mean, everybody in Alaska has done all kinds of work. Hmm. Um, It's a real, it's a real place. It's a, you know, it's a, you know, when you talk about a real town, it's a place where all people have all jobs.
3: Yeah. And, and, um, uh, Alaska has this reputation for being the kind of place where you go to kind of reinvent yourself and to create Mm -hmm. a a persona, uh, a new persona for yourself if necessary. And um, I was wondering how, how that, that kind of mindset or that kind of uh, uh, cultural backdrop um, mm-hmm. influences the way that you approach your photography?
2: Well, I think my dad certainly went there to reinvent himself, to, to be this photographer, to get away from, um, maybe not to get away from, but to... Give himself a chance. At give some, himself yeah. a chance at a life outside of poverty and the projects and dealing with all the stuff that he dealt with um, growing up in a tough family, um, and I
0: mean, his idea of getting away from Boston was going to the Vietnam
2: War. Well, yeah, but that's like most people that are poor in this country have to do something extreme to get out of that. Whether that's selling drugs or uh, joining the military, yeah. you know, there, you don't you don't get out unscathed of really? poverty, right? We know that it's not an and, easy. And the military
3: will often target. Um, poor neighborhoods because yeah. they know that they have uh, going to get a lot of recruits that way. So it's yeah. a it's a kind of a symbiotic relationship there.
2: It is, and I think you know, um, and that continues to happen to this day. I mean, I'm I'm not and I don't have anything against servicemen. Like I mm-hmm. I I think people that serve their country that's amazing, mm-hmm. but I know that it really impacted my dad's life, and the and it continues to impact the lives of you know, tons of Americans that, um, you know, the people that are going into the military, it's not the, the folks, uh, you know, the, the kids of folks that can afford to send them to college or they can give them opportunities. It's, it's people that need something more. Sure, sure. So I think, you know, the way that that impacted the way that I grew up growing up in Alaska was that it was okay to be myself. I had time to like figure out who I was mm. and, um, You know, you spend a lot of time on your own there. People there are extremely creative. Mm. Um, You know, they can be really intelligent people because they have a lot of time. They don't have a choice. They have to, like, deal with. Yeah. You have to deal with yourself.
0: We were talking earlier. You said that that things had changed. You you mentioned that it's become more conservative, Alaska, Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why you moved. But you also, you mentioned something about that idea of individualism and free spirit, that that had changed as well.
2: Well, I mean, I think that still very much exists there, but um, the majority of the population now, the the people that have the biggest families are fundamentalist, um, extremely right-wing families, and there's nothing wrong with that. It takes all kinds of people, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it takes to get you through the night (laughs) sort of thing. But um, when I grew up, it was okay to sort of be a wild ass to be a coot to do your own thing and now to be, I th- To be a coot? You know, like an old coot you just <laughs> no, you got left alone right? right, right I mean, sure people talked about you it's like it's right. very in some ways very similar to Ireland where we talk so much in Alaska and the reason we do that is because we know as soon as we leave the the room everybody else is going to talk about you but, <laughs> um, so, you know you're you're never not uh, not uh, it's not that you're untouchable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um you can do your own thing and mm-hmm. i think that now um you know we have the internet we have there's more there's more cable television in alaska and um i just think it's less interesting in some mm. ways it's still wild but it's just more kind of white bread or mm. something mm. yeah
0: so your parents are retired or, i mean they're still yeah. in the fishing business still.
2: My, uh, my family stopped fishing after the Exxon Valdez oil spill in 89 and my dad opened a little camera store in the downtown area of town. Um, my mom did all kinds of like political work Hmm. in Alaska in the nineties and helped elect a couple governors and stuff and helped run political campaigns and then later worked for the union. She was a big union gal, worked for the state employee union, defended people that screwed up at work. Wow. Um, she just retired. My dad passed away in two thousand two or two thousand three. Oh, sorry. I, you know, that's life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the that's the end. That's what happens. That's what People happens. People die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's where we're all going. Yeah. But yeah, I was twenty-one when he died, and um, he had the camera store up to that point. So
0: you worked in the camera store.
2: Well, I wouldn't call it working. <laughs> yeah I went there after school and I got paid to hang out with my dad and it was it was awesome. You know when you're a kid, I still sort of feel bad about this i I, I recently was in at uh, a grocery I was at the west side market up mm. here on the upper west side and I saw this father and daughter exchange that happened that just I don't know if this ever happens to you, but things remind you of your childhood or like and oh, then sure. this way that you just feel shitty about later on but the dad was asking the daughter like well, let's get some olives or something. And the, the the daughter was like obviously in that teenage phase where she just like hated everything. And she's like, I don't like olives, dad. And just like stormed off, you know. And I think I got enough time with my dad, but part of that time I was definitely being a teenager and, sure, sure. and being a little bit of a jerk. So, but yeah, it was great.
0: So he, you said he, he paid you to hang out in the store? Or?
2: Well, I would go there and I'd work and occasionally sell cameras and restock film. Is this is clean. this where it started for you, you think? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah, so the first photos I really took were he'd give me like a in the summertime it's a huge tourist town. There's tons of cruise ships that come and so these people that you only would use their camera like on vacation or for birthday parties or you know, they they use it like maybe 3 or 4 times a year, right? Most Americans at that time before cell phones the sure. camera was a special occasion thing it was thing. for you know tourist trips yeah for like the yeah. family vacation yeah mm-hmm. that kind of thing so they get the camera to alaska and they realize it wasn't working generally it was the battery or maybe it <laughs> needed cleaning so my dad would take a look at it and uh, if the person was a real pain they asked they'd say well i don't believe you that it's working so you know, he'd send me his 12-year-old kid out on the streets of downtown Juno to, like, go prove that the kid, you know, he'd give me, like, a 12-exposure roll or a 24-exposure roll to just, you know, give me, like, you got 30 minutes. <laughs> go take some interesting photos, you know, um, and, and come back. Uh, we'd make a contact sheet, you know, process the film Really, We usually took it to, like, a one-hour photo place just so it was a quick turnaround time. Look at the contact sheet. he'd say, "You know these people are coming at four, but before then you need to like look at these photos. Tell me which ones you think are good." So I'd you know use a little china pencil and make a square around it and and then we'd talk about it. Usually, the photos I thought were good were were terrible, <laughs> <laughs> but he would gently explain to me why they weren't so weren't so hot.
0: Yeah, he was a real influence on your photography then very early on,
2: yeah
3: yeah and the pro- certainly the process of editing which is so you know crucial to what we do yeah it's a huge know. part it's a huge part of what we do i try to emphasize that with my students too it's like not every picture that you're going to make is great yeah sorry you know <laughs> yeah i wish it wasn't so but you know that's the truth <laughs> you gotta you gotta look at it with you know with with clear eyes and say okay which ones are actually working which ones aren't and That's an important part of the process, yeah.
2: Yeah, and that's something I always remember him saying. I feel like, you know, he would say, I feel lucky if I get one out of 36. Yeah. He shot mostly 35 millimeter. And so then I I wouldn't feel so bad about maybe only having one successful photo. But we know, you know, photography is so much about failing. Failing, oh. Like failure in a huge way. And I got used, to, I got comfortable with that early on. And
3: you're still working with 35 and sometimes, right?
2: Yeah, I shoot with his old Leicas. No kidding. Yep, I wow, ha- huh? I have an M2 and an M4P that I work with, and my my sweetheart lens is the 35. Sure. Be- I've been trying to use the 50, and it's just pissing me off because it's, <laughs> it's not wide enough. You know, I really have to I get have to get too far away to get it all in the frame. <laughs> so yeah, I was just shooting it. could the. I didn't go to the Mermaid Parade. I went to the Aftermath, which I think is a lot more interesting. I bet. The, the sort of shit show that yeah, happens yeah, yeah. after the... Yeah. And <laughs> I, I brought the 50 with me, and I was just frustrated the whole day. But it was really fun. Yeah, you're,
3: the 50 is more of a spectator lens, more yeah. less of a participant lens, yeah. I feel.
2: You can't dance with a 50. You can't dance with a 50. You can't dance with it.
3: No, you really can. You, you're really
0: thinking more about specific... Singular details with the 50s yeah. Yeah. yeah, I
2: just felt like I had lead shoes on the whole day with that thing, you know? It was a little awkward. Yeah,
3: I feel like the 28 you're living with people, you know? Yeah. It's like at that point. So the 35 is a nice in-between, yeah.
2: yeah. It's my it's my sweet spot. So
0: did you carry that interest in photography through high school, through undergraduate?
2: So, okay, the deal is art was like a four-letter word. I mean, it wasn't a four-letter word in that they were like, my, my family wasn't like... Art is BS. I mean, mm-hmm. we had artwork on the wall growing up, which I think is awesome. We had painting and we had other photographs. But I knew from the day I was born that I was going to have to work for a living, you know, and in that, that meant helping out on the fishing boat or helping out in the camera There was store. no trust fund? No, nope, nope, no trust fund. God, I wish. <laughs> I know, right? Man, wouldn't that be, wouldn't nice? that be nice? I feel uh. like I would know what to do with money. Uh. I wouldn't be someone who would ruin me. Mm. I would like really, I'd use it. unless right. I tell myself mm. that, right? Uh, yeah, so they wanted me to like get a, have a career. They wanted me to make something out of myself. Um, but, you know, they didn't discourage me from trying to do artsy fartsy things but it you know come on they didn't and, see
3: a future in that you know no. the way most parents i think still
2: i'm not sure i see a future i mean like well, you <laughs> tough you know i'm like well, my oh! mother cried
3: when i told her i was going to be a photographer so i mean you know wow yeah really? yeah it was, uh, you know but i understood i mean yeah you know working class family it's like the it, what does that mean it's like even when you say it, it's like what does it mean exactly and then you yeah. say what are you gonna do weddings no Okay, you yeah. going to do a uh, newspaper? No. Okay, what, what, are you, what are you talking about then? I, you know? I
0: told Patrice earlier that uh, my, my aunt and uncle, who I, I, I had uh, grown up with as a teenager, when I told them I wanted to be uh, changed from engineering to photography, they said, well, do one more semester engineering, yeah. then we'll see. And then when I finally told them, no, this is what I'm going to do, they're like, well, okay, if that's what you really want to do. And then I found out later they called their son who's a priest to see if they
3: were doing the right thing (laughs) man yeah parents were they they, they called the big guns well you know it's it's like you know it's understandable parents want to make sure that their kids are you know have a future whatever that means and photography you know is still kind of you know unless you're in it
2: yeah and i have to say that i still have those i feel like dread about it i feel like in the pit of my stomach like how am i gonna i i don't feel good unless i'm working i think we talked about this before but i don't feel like i'm able to relax unless i have a job unless i'm making money because i don't want to i mean i know my parents like struggled i know it wasn't easy and so
3: what's the anxiety
2: it's the anxiety of just not knowing if you're going to be able to i don't know pay your mortgage or like you know just make it and that's not a great feeling um But I know how to hustle. It's a very motivating feeling. I was going to
3: say, it's not a great feeling, but it is a great motivating uh, force, let's say.
2: So, you know, my first, my, I I have a master's in education and I taught in public school for a while. What,
3: what years, like what uh, grade did you I taught middle school. Middle school. And I loved it. Really? I think
2: that's like the most amazing age. It's awkward. Yes, the kids have the best sense of humor. I mean, it's all like dick and fart jokes. Let's not, let's be real here. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of humor. That's the level of humor. But
0: it's also a very much a transition period. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there there are lots of fart jokes in elementary school, mm-hmm. but then you introduce the dick jokes <laughs> yes, in, uh, uh, in junior high, <laughs> and you're also then starting uh, to explore a sexuality thing. a bit more yeah. in yeah. junior high. Yeah.
2: Right? yeah. I love people, and I loved. It lo- I was an honor to teach the kids that I... I mean, I still remember my students. What were you teaching? I taught advanced language arts and social studies. Mm. And so my undergrad degree is, is in writing and English. And um, yeah, I mean, I really wanted to make a difference in public education. And I think it's so screwed up now that thank God for the teachers that we do have that are yeah. awesome, mm. that do a good job, but it with standardized testing and the way that... Uh, states are screwing around with um sort of the benefits that teachers do have it's very very difficult to make a career out of being a a public school teacher and um you know i i bailed out i didn't i didn't i didn't do it I decided that i really what i wanted to do was photography and you know now i'm teaching under adult um uh, learners and that's like a whole other thing
3: mm-hmm when like um, so, you're you're working in as teaching grade school, and then you're photographing at that time. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm. And then something happens that pushes you in the direction of you know taking that extra step. Uh, you applied to graduate school soon after you stopped teaching in in, uh, in middle school, or was there a time in between? There was we... no
2: time gap. I mean, the my timeline's pretty crazy. My dad died in like 2003. I graduated from my undergrad. I really wanted to, like, be a writer as mm. a young woman, mm. and I wanted to go to the best writing school in the country, which I thought was the Iowa yeah, uh, the Writers' work- Workshop, yeah, which okay. I still think is an incredible program. Yeah. Um, and I'd been pretty together up to the point of my dad passing away, but I really had a hard time after he died mm. and came home, didn't really know what to do. We closed down the camera store, and I was a bartender for 10 years, which I would have never thought i would have gotten into that line of work is
3: that where the project of uh, last call comes from
2: yep last call is from my years as a bartender which i wouldn't trade for anything i mean it was it taught me about the real world mm-hmm. <laughs> my phd in uh, yeah and, uh, and life science right? yeah. <laughs> but yeah so i was a bartender and then i um you know that's a rough it was a rough way to make a living but i made quite a bit of money doing but it. But this is in Juneau. In Juneau, okay. in Alaska, in the real bar, you know, mm-hmm. real mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I finally got my master's in education, but I've been photographing the whole time. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with all this stuff? Right. Um, and I had one show at, the, at a museum in Juneau that was a big deal. It was just always this thing I was making the work. I didn't have anybody to really talk to about it. Right. I didn't know a ton of photographers. Digital was happening, but I was still into this film camera stuff. Didn't have a dark room. So I'd bring the photos to like the Fred Meyer, which is like the kind of um, one-stop shopping in my town that still was processing C41, Mm -hmm. shooting a lot of C41 at the time. And I remember I was... uh, In my master's program, I was doing my practical teaching part where you have to teach in a classroom for Mm -hmm. like six months. Mm -hmm. And... I was about to get married. I was freaking out about that a little bit. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to have kids, and this is this part of my life is going to be over where I'm a photographer. I'm just not going to have time for it. So I, I was thinking about applying for a grant where I would go and study photography with somebody, and I thought, who's great that I would want to learn from? So I Googled Mary Ellen Mark workshop, and her Iceland workshop came up, and I applied for that and ended up going to Reykjavik, by myself right after I got married. It was like my solo honeymoon. Wow. And <laughs> really? Yeah. I swear to God I did it because I wanted to get out of town. As soon as I got married, the expectations were so high where I'm from that you just, you have kids, right. you do the thing. So I just said. And
0: how, how was your uh, newlywed uh, husband? My husband's great. Yeah.
2: You know, he knows me. We were, we'd been together for like five years at that point, And, um, you know, we wouldn't be together if he'd didn't know who I am and Mm -hmm. so he was like all right have fun (laughs) um and it was amazing you know Mary Ellen Mark totally changed the way that I edit photos make work um it was incredible
0: yeah I I worked for Mary Ellen Martin for a very long time Uh, and of course Mary Ellen just passed away yeah um Uh, we were hoping to have her and Martin on this podcast with their, their new project that's coming out uh, this fall. So, so we'll see, but it's very sad and uh, that's a really a a great loss for the photo world.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't be here today talking to you guys if it weren't for her, you know? Um, And is,
0: is Mary Ellen how you found Columbia and Tom Roma?
2: Not really. I mean, she really wanted me to go to Hunter uh, because the, MFA program at Hunter is a lot more affordable and she knew that I don't have a ton of money but I didn't get into that program I think the program at Hunter is a little bit more uh performance or something now I'm not really, really? sure I'm not sure it's what's going on it's so, changed so many times I don't because, know because
3: I mean when 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 Roy De Carava was, was that's why I wanted to go uh, yeah. there. Come I mean, on, that right. was a um, but I knew about it's him. Changed. Yeah, it's changed yeah. quite a bit, and I know that uh, the, the I work with uh, Joel Lawton, who is also teaching at I believe a uh, Hunter, and he's um you know. Mm-hmm. Black and white documentary style street, if you want to call it that, photographer. Although he really, you know, that's a terrible name, but uh, terrible uh, way of describing his a photography. terrible summary of what well, a street a... is just like oh, uh, right. you know okay. the, the mm-hmm. term is so complicated. But mm-hmm. um, so I didn't know that they had sort of taken that shift.
2: I mean, I don't know. I'm, it just seems like the work that's there right now isn't wasn't so much what I'm what I'm right. doing yeah. which is okay. fine yeah yeah
3: it's just a different approach yeah point.
0: every program you know has a they have, a have to define themselves flavor. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah
2: yeah but she didn't tell me to, to apply here but I think she's been a great champion of Columbia and really thought highly of Tom well, they're Roma cl- they were friends really good yeah, friends yeah, yeah. and so like I said earlier Columbia I really didn't think I would get into this program but I thought if I was going to do this I should try to um, apply to the at least have one sort of why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be like, screw it. Yeah. Maybe I'm throwing away 80 bucks for this fee, but <laughs> uh, I just thought it was going to be like an earth shattering blow to my ego. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I didn't think I would get into any programs. Mm-hmm. So, um, now what, what, uh, the work that
3: you applied with, mm-hmm. uh, was it the Reykjavik work?
2: There was a lot of work from Iceland. There was some of the, some work that I'd done with a land camera that was, um I had taken these photos in San Francisco on buses and stuff when I was mm. traveling. And it was just like, kind of like a, uh, just a bunch of different work from like 10 years of being a closeted photographer. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think there's even a photograph from... My photo one class in my undergrad wow. time at Southern That's Oregon University. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Just, I just want to make a little note. If you're hearing children in the background, yeah. because we're very close to a, a schoolyard that I think is letting out right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> it's going to be Lord of the Flies here in a minute. <laughs> just saying. Uh, you, uh,
3: you also had a, um, uh, a funny story about a particular photograph that was turned out to be Tom's picture. Oh, Yeah. um,
2: So I, um, as a kid in high school, I worked at a health food store for a long time. I'd split my week between going and being a cashier at this shop right down the street from my dad's camera store. And then also working with my dad. Um, We had this magazine rack that I love. I would like sit there on my little break and look at magazines that I, you know, most of them I couldn't afford to buy with my crappy little salary. But... There was one magazine that I really liked and I still like a lot called The Sun which publishes only black and white f- photographs and like fiction and poetry and one of the photos that I cut out and put on my um, bedroom wall in high school and later came with me to my refrigerator in my first crappy apartment and then my college dorm up to like when i got married and bought my house i still had it on my cabinet was a photo from tom's higher ground series but i didn't know it was tom's photo it was just a picture in a magazine that i loved and you know it was my picture like i connected with it and i loved it um and then when i was looking at columbia i looked at his work and i thought holy shit that's the guy that's like my photo he took it and so i felt like in this weird way like Maybe this is meant to be, you know, when you just sure. feel like, hmm, yeah, something's been with you that weird. long and then it
3: reveals itself and then do way. Yeah. Sure. And I'd like yeah.
2: taken some photos whenever I would travel on the subway or like in buses. And I think it was maybe because I really loved that one picture. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even seen the whole book or anything. It hmm. was just the, the cover shot from on um, higher ground. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. So it had worked its way into your subconscious.
2: Yeah. It had really, it stuck. Hmm. And then when I came here for the interview, that's a whole other crazy story. I got the interview. The The whole thing with me applying for grad school is that it was a discussion between me and my husband where I said, I wanna try to do this. Uh-huh. I know we just got married and <laughs> I'm like a public school teacher, but if I don't do this I'm never going to be happy if I don't try and we're going to be married and I'm going to be miserable and you're gonna and you're going to be married to a miserable, person. To a miserable yeah. person you don't, you want, don't that. want that I don't want that right. come on
0: I'm really doing this for our relationship I'm doing it yes. for us I'm doing
2: it for you do it for you honey yes and so he said well sure and I think both of us thought there's no way in hell that I'd get into one of these one of these kind of hot shot programs that I was applying for and it was my first year as a public school teacher and I got an interview at Columbia and I was like, look, um, what do you think about moving to New York? Like if there's a chance that I get in, he's like, well, if it happens, we'll talk about it. And it was still like winning the lottery. You know, it wasn't guaranteed that I was getting in, but I had an interview and they said, well, you can Skype or you can come here. And luckily, I'd called the visual arts office because I didn't know what the hell an interview was or what Columbia really was or any, you know, I didn't, a lot of people are very political now about how they get into these MFA programs, but I had no real connection other than have, I went to the workshop with Mary Ellen. But other than that, like, I didn't know anybody in the photo world or the art world. I didn't have any like hot shot recommendations yeah, or anything. Right. Um, <clears throat> and the lady on the phone on the front desk said, if you want to get in, you need to come here. Yeah. You know, you should come meet them and, like, look at the school. Oh, that was good advice. Guy interviews
0: She's, are
3: so rough.
0: Yeah, yeah they're just, yeah. they don't work. Well, thank God
2: for her because I just thought, okay, I'm going to come. And it was my, like, day before spring break, I went and talked to my principal, and I said, look, this is crazy. I don't think I'm going to get into this program. I know I just started working here, but can I take a day off and fly to New York City and do this interview? Luckily, her sister is an artist here in New York, and she said, "Oh my God, Columbia, what the hell are you doing? Like, yeah, get yeah. your ticket, get out of here." Wow. And um, I was jet lagged It takes 14 hours to get to New York from Alaska in the winter. Show up here tired as hell, not you know, maybe not my freshest or my or my best behavior. <laughs> and uh, it was Tom, Susan Kismaric, and Stephanie. Um, what's Stephanie? Is it Prusen? Pru- 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 I don't know who Stephanie she's, is. No, I'm not sure. She's great. They mm. were my they were on my uh, interview panel. And you know, that Susan's a tough customer. She's great. I mean, I love her, she's got a great sense of humor, but I didn't know her from anybody, right. so it was a tough tough process. I remember
3: when I when I applied and I got the interview, I had to meet everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was the- in a room with all the faculty all the permanent faculty were there right oh, wow. when we
0: applied the interview process was a bit different it was it was not just all the faculty there were also all the grad students the grad were students, there we had to meet whoa. with yeah it so we was had to, very intimidating we had to show our work discuss our work in front of basically everybody involved in the program yeah
4: <laughs> whoa yes. ah, yeah. awkward yeah. 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 the only
3: way to do it is to walk in there thinking that they, they're, they, they're crazy not to take you if you yeah. show an inch of fear yeah it's over it's over.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I, I wore an undershirt, a regular shirt, and a jacket just because I knew I was going to sweat through whatever it was I was wearing. <laughs> it's, it
3: was,
2: yeah. I'll never forget ready, getting ready for that interview because I was so nervous. I yeah. remember I had like a nice dress and like I spent a while getting ready and I got lost actually up on 125th. I got oh, no. misdirected. And I'm, you know, I was, I'm still a hick, but I was really a hick like two yeah. years and, ago. I didn't and know. And jet lagged. And a jet lagged. Jet lagged and tired yeah. and wearing uncomfortable shoes Mm. and wandering around up in harlem and i remember i got cat called up there which i'm not used to you know and i actually i think i freaked the guy out he's like oh man you look great or something and i turned around and i was like thank you (laughs) oh yeah you know and i think he just that's not the response most women (laughs) give i was like oh thank you sir have a good day
0: oh my god she made eye contact
1: (laughs) and
2: i just hopped in a cab and got up there to the interview um but when i saw tom came out to get a drink of water and i knew that i knew it was him from the picture on the website and i remember looking at him and he just looked streetwise you know what i mean like i could tell i'd worked in a bar and i worked with people for a long time and i thought who is this guy <laughs> like he just kind of like gave me a look and i just sort of knew and then talking to him i knew i wasn't going to get away with a goddamn thing <laughs> and that's what i wanted i wanted a real program I wanted something that wasn't mediocre I wanted the best school I wanted to learn with people that were at the top of their field and you know Tom Roma is the best the best there is you know um and so the first year was tough as hell yeah. Yeah. but thank god it was because it made me made me better
0: yeah how, how do you see your work changing since you've been here
2: <sighs> i I just think I don't have room to screw around anymore mm. or to bullshit. Like I am really aware that there's a gun to my head. Mm. Tom put the gun to my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know? Yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: so Tom told me this wonderful story. Um, uh, he ran into a, I think a Yale student from way back when. And the student told him, you know, you were my teacher and, and you're the reason why I do what I do. That The student is in photography. I believe I believe the student curated a show just recently and uh, she said, you know, I remember this one thing you did uh, the first day of class and you came into class and you leapt off the floor right onto a table with both feet. And, uh, and I'll never forget that. And, and Tom was telling me that, you know, he, he did it because he wanted to do something memorable and he wants... He wants students to do something memorable. But not just memorable, but to also do it right. To do it with commitment.
3: Because if you don't do it with commitment, you can fall and break your neck. Yeah, otherwise, uh, if that didn't go well, he'd be the guy on the ground. And she'd
0: remember it for another reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: I think a lot of the times we're going we're going through the motions in life and we're just we're scared to be who we are. You know, the song, The Real Me, Tom plays a song in his photo one classes and I feel like I really came out of the closet as a person, as a photographer in this program. I was able to talk about what i desire what i love in the world what i'm attracted to in a way that i wasn't able to living in a small town in alaska where everybody knows who you are anyway but you just you're freaked out by that you have no um autonomy mm. and in the city nobody gives a shit who you are right. they're like you're a weirdo you're screaming yeah. on the train you know
3: i gotta read my newspaper
2: i gotta yeah leave me that leave me alone no, yeah. shut up yeah forget yeah. about it yeah um
0: but well, you're you're doing well in New York, right? I mean, you just had a show, yes?
2: I just had a show at Bozy Contemporary in the Lower East Side it was a two-person show. A great gallery. One of the smartest things I did at Columbia was that um, I wanted to know who everybody was. Like, you know, it's sort of like when you're a kid and you're isolated, and then your parents bring you to a playground. And you're like, kids. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. why I felt coming here. I was like, smart people. Mm. Like, thank God, who is everybody? Yeah. And. So I made friends with, um, uh, an undergrad in the GS program who is Italian and through a friend of his, my friend Federico Posati that assists me in, in this portrait project that I did in the short film that I made this fall through a friend of his, uh, Julia, uh, was a curator that, um curated me into a show in the little gallery in the lower east side that's that also they have a gallery in in rome and italy and oh, stuff nice. so that was great you know you know right out of the gate being in a two-person show is is awesome
0: what work is in that show
2: that's that's work that's more like my stuff that's in the world or kind of you know the street or the documentary style i mean there's it's all over the place. It's stuff from Iceland, work from New York, and work from Alaska. So it's just sort of, I feel like it was good to just get that all out into the world and out of my system mm-hmm. in a way. So, so it,
0: oh, I'm just going to say, you, and we can see the work because you can't see it now at uh, patricehelmar.com. Mm-hmm. And you're also very active on Instagram. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm going to be real honest. I'm super into Instagram. <laughs> and you can, don't be ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> I am ashamed. It's like liking Pearl Jam in the 90s, you know? You're like, I know, all the, I know all the words to the songs. I like
3: Pearl Jam in the 90s. I know, I
2: did too, but all it right. wasn't like the hip thing, right? Oh. I mean, you were supposed to like the really shitty sounding bands, right. like Dinosaur oh. Jr. or something. But, super grunge. Yeah, the super yeah. grungy noise right. rock, but like, I'm like, I just love Eddie Vedder. Yeah. So it's so at, right? at patchhop, P-A-T-C-H-O-P.
3: And Pat Chop is
0: that's
2: my childhood nickname. Yeah. <laughs>
3: now the the project that we're looking at here on the on the walls of your mm-hmm. studio is from the Sparrow series. Mm-hmm. Do you feel this is the project that you're uh, working on right now?
2: Well, I'm working on this right now, and I'm also still shooting on the street. Okay. You know, I I just I'm kind of a workaholic. So I don't you need really to always s- keep busy. I gotta stay busy, or I get I get depressed. I'm gonna be okay. real honest. I'm okay. somebody that's either on or off.
3: Okay. and these are these are digital prints from negatives
2: these are f- digital inkjet prints from 4x5
3: 4x5 negatives mm-hmm. now in on your website you have um, sorry That's okay on your website you have a, a quote and, a, and it says um, uh, part of the reason I photograph is that I've always been interested in strangers homes walking by windows and wondering what those people and those houses are like on the inside it's interesting to me that we are in fact Mm-hmm. so I guess you got your wish yeah in a way so you got to go inside <laughs> and uh, and take a look at what's happening inside these houses yeah. now I believe most of the photographs have a person in them it's a kind of a portrait but mm-hmm. it's not your your ordinary portrait I mean we're looking at people who are uh, in bed they they some of them are nude uh, some of them are dressed like they're about to go out yeah. Um and then there's a lovely photograph of that dog staring back uh huh. Um, it's is, the wild card. It's the what's the wild card? I was going to ask about that. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about how this project um, uh, started and and where you see it going and how long you've been working at it? Sure.
2: Um, as this goes back to my kindergarten, when I was in kindergarten, I was really into everybody in my class and my mom tells a story about how I drew a picture of everybody in class when I was about to graduate from kindergarten and gave it to them because I just really, like, loved everybody. It was just, like, the sweet little thing. And when I was um, a a baby to about two years old, my grandmother had taken care of me, which is my mom's family's um, Irish Catholic, big Irish Catholic family, and it was sort of a tradition that... um, the firstborn daughter would live in the family house, which my mom still lives in, and then the grandparents would take care of the new kids. So my grandma had died really early on, like, of lung cancer when I was about two and a half, and I guess I, my parents say that I cried for, like, almost a year as a kid. So, you know, that's a real sad sob story, but I think what that did to me um, and continues to, to do to me as an adult is realize that life isn't permanent that the people that we love the most die and that um, we need to like make the most out of it or try to like in some way I want to hold on to that. So photographing is sort of an extension of that, of those feelings that I have about uh, really loving somebody and wanting to make that likeness that will last longer than, um, than I do or that they do. So this portrait series, these are all people that uh, I've either just met. Many of them are people that are really close to me, friends. You know, there's a photo of my husband. There's a picture of my dog. Um, My first word when I was a baby was the name of my grandmother's uh, dog, Missy, who I just like. I love dogs. It's crazy. (laughs) And so that's Dolly Girl. She's my little mutt. Uh, that I adopted from a shelter in Alaska and um, I just love her I mean it's totally dorky but <laughs> I d- wanted to take a beautiful formal portrait of my 13 pound Pomeranian Chihuahua beagle mix there you go I wanted her to look regal and fancy you know.
0: you must have had that in common uh or had conversations about dogs with Mary Ellen at some point.
2: Yeah, the last <laughs> time I talked to her, she asked me how if Dolly was a New York City girl. Uh. <laughs> She's like, did you bring your dog?
0: Yeah, yeah. They, that office, uh, and particularly Mary Ellen, they they really love dogs. They would have a, a dog Christmas party mm-hmm. every year. Oh, Lord. That my my wife wow. and I brought our greyhounds to <laughs> That's fantastic. one year, and we have we have port uh, you know That's Mary great. Ellen's photos of our greyhounds, and of course, our greyhounds being full sized greyhounds, yeah. rescue from a track. They're they're just kind of there. They're they're not. They don't listen to commands or anything they're like, like that. Yes, they are. they really were like it's a lo- furniture. The
3: lovely <laughs> end table that you yeah, have there. Yeah, it's you know.
0: So, so it took us a while to get them to sit near Santa. Oh wow! And oh, I so bet. Mary Ellen at the end said, "Those are not well-behaved dogs." <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I think they were outside of the idea of behavior. They just yes. didn't understand that there was such a thing as. It's like yeah. uh, the dog in The Simpsons, Santa's little helper. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is a greyhound. Yeah. yeah. Yes. yeah it's a mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, they're beautiful looking animals. Yeah. Now, yeah. this,
3: did this project start um, while you were here at Columbia? Or? Yeah,
2: it did. I. You know, I kept seeing photos that I thought were gorgeous and they were all shot in large format. And I was really intimidated by that. I didn't know how to use the camera. I didn't know anything about processing the film. And I, you know, if you go to an MFA program, you should change. Something should change. You should try new things. You should, um, even if you screw up, you should just try to do it. And so I just thought, what the hell, why not? I just worked on a film in the fall like just a short narrative film that I'd written uh, in South Philly, and I learned a ton about lighting through that. And directing as well. I just thought, why don't I just approach the people that I would really like to photograph and use kind of a similar directorial Mm -hmm. uh, and lighting approach to that, where I don't have to just... I think when I came in here, I felt like I had to go and experience things and not have it be too contrived. I sort of thought everything was real, quote, unquote. And when I got here, I got talked out of that real quick, <laughs> which thank God I did. You know, no, it's not real. It's a photo, and that's a new thing. Yeah. Um, and you can tell people what to do. You can direct them, and that's fine. Nobody knows. It's, your fo- it's yours. Yeah. You're taking your photo. You're not mm-hmm. taking somebody else's photo. You're making the photograph that you want. You know, mm-hmm. and even then, it might—it's probably not going to be what you wanted. It's this new thing, sure. So tough shit. <laughs> um, yeah. So I—I I started doing this, and I had uh, my my friend Federico Posati assisted me because I get really nervous. You mm-hmm. know, I—I've got like pickles for fingers. I like fumble around, and um, you know, the, these these were awkward photographs to make. It wasn't a—I wasn't comfortable. I think the people were comfortable, but oh. I was like sweating bullets. Now, why do you think that is? Because um, I want to get it right.
3: Mm. So it was the pressure of making sure that every sheet was going to count, kind of a thing.
2: Yeah, when you don't have a ton of money, it's like.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: You, you can't really. You know, it's like, you know, Helen Levitt, she didn't shoot a lot, but what she did shoot was good. I'm not comparing myself to her by any means, but I think there's a similarity in. Um, you know, some of the students at this program at Columbia have all the resources in the world. And that's great. Like, I'm happy for them. Honestly, I am. But um, part of the reason that I shoot black and white is that it's not unaffordable quite yet. You can still do it yourself. It's still a hands-on, process-oriented thing that I really... uh, I appreciate it. That there's a craft to it.
3: Uh, The pictures, are you collecting the photographs with some, uh, like, final presentation in mind is it is it a book form is it uh, photography books have kind of exploded there are and there's two venues one is the self-published one and the mm-hmm. other one is where you try to get a publisher to you know ev- of course everybody wants to be which title it seems
2: yeah that'd be great uh, you know so i mean they if do it's good, good, good enough for carl lagerfeld and Nibel, it's good enough for me well you know i i,
3: I truly believe that there are books that are those books then are used to uh, fund other books that would yeah. not be, yeah, as you know, as as, as uh, hot sellers. But is that something that you've been thinking about? It, uh, are you more of an exhibition type uh, artist? Um, um, what are you thinking about in terms of how these these works are going to continue to exist in the world?
2: Yeah, I would love to do a book, but you know, I don't have the money to put it out myself, and I think. Um, I'm just gonna keep making these I don't have a choice it's just something that I have to do now and um eventually probably make a book dummy and hopefully you know knock on wood or this plastic (laughs) card table that we're sitting at here that to a certain degree you guys know this luck is a big part of
3: Everything
0: has Everything. to do with photography. It has yes. to do with photography. Yeah. Right and place, right time. Yeah. Yeah. but
3: being ready at the right
0: place, being right time. Being
2: ready, yeah. and you have and to yeah. keep practicing, kind of. You know, you, know, um, you got to do the work. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, I, I as a as a younger person, I did zines. I still occasionally do zines and stuff like that, and have so you know self published little things I can give away. And I would love to have books. I think that'd be so exciting and be great to exhibit. It'd be nice to try to have a solo show with this work at some point um you know I don't know I just I got nominated for the Rima Hortman grant which Great. is a really big deal yeah. so I'm gonna apply to that and I know that they really support emerging artists in New York City mm-hmm. and maybe
0: that's how you'll find the money for a book
3: right
2: through, yeah, grants. through a grant right mm-hmm. yeah yeah like most people mm-hmm but I'm going to keep on keeping on.
3: Yeah. What's know. the name of the film that you directed? So the Are you working with the full crew? It's yeah, I like, worked.
2: I hired a cinematographer wow. and a sound person. It's called Mockingbird Wish Me Luck, which is the name of a short story by Charles Bukowski. Uh-huh. And is I, he
3: one of your heroes? or I
2: wouldn't call him a hero. <laughs> Maybe does, an anti-hero. Maybe an anti-hero. I was yeah. thinking about his writing. It's like... Hmm, it's a little
3: tough. It's a little tough. Yeah, especially on women.
2: Yeah. Yeah, right. but you know, I think he he hated people equally. He was an equal opportunity hater.
3: See, I, I think he was a lover of people. I think it's like I remember being an undergraduate at NYU when I was going to be a lawyer, hey. and um, yeah, and I met this great teacher. Um, and I said, oh, you know, Woody Allen, he's such a cynic and he looked at me like confused and he said that not not at all it's the opposite he's mm-hmm. he actually is a lover of life it's he's not yeah. you know but his sense of humor is kind of and i think Bukowski was the same way i think he really was a lover of people but that's the way he related to them i think you i think
0: know? people like Woody Allen and Charles Bukowski they had somewhat tortured relationships
3: oh yeah with people well but because of a need to be with people right. i don't
2: know fuck Woody Allen. <laughs> I have no respect for him. I don't give a shit about his films, whatever. I think How do you really feel? Yeah, let, me, let, me, let me let me let me spill it out to you. I'm sorry. I don't even think I don't You're not even, alone. Sorry. I'm not uh, right. Um uh, but Bukowski wasn't like a child molester or anything like no, that. No, so, but I would agree. I think he loved life. There's a the poem, there's a bluebird in my heart which I think is one of my all-time favorite poems about how he's really this sensitive person that cares too much and, you know, don't tell the grocery clerks or the whores that I'm actually somebody that cries alone in my shitty apartment at night. And I really related to his work uh, when I was younger and living above a bar and maybe having a hard time.
4: Sure,
2: um, He was somebody that was honest about it being tough, mm-hmm. just being a human being. You know, I think his novel Post Office about work, just the work a day life is an amazing work Mm -hmm. about just how you have to work when you're a working class artist to make the work that you really want to make. And I think that was like a keystone thing for me reading that book. I Mm -hmm. realized that you could do what you really wanted to do. And still have a job and still make it happen. So I very much like when I was bartending and making photos and writing and stuff, I always kept that in the back of my mind that there'd been this guy before me that had worked a really shitty job and still went home at night and and did this other thing that he really loved to
1: do
3: Yeah. somehow i have this image of him getting home turning on the radio to listen to mozart and then writing you know some short story or some poetry after having a terrible childhood i mean his his biography is just heartbreaking Mm -hmm. heartbreaking i mean it's like how does this person even continue to exist and to create Mm -hmm. you know um it's just shocking to me but it's uh, it's inspirational absolutely so where
0: are you with this film now
2: so it's just now being colored and I'm gonna have the premiere actually in Juneau next month at a little local theater called the Goldtown Nickelodeon, and, and, and all
3: our listeners are invited.
2: Yeah, Just come, come on to Alaska. Juneau. It's real cheap, real easy to get up there. Just a short bus ride, <laughs> <laughs> two and a half weeks. Yeah. You'll get there. Yeah, you'll figure it out. Come on down, and then a boat ride. Mm. So I'm gonna put that. I'm gonna. Uh, submit it to festivals. It's like 11 minutes long. I wanted to make a film. I just like was so excited about this person that I'd met in her life. She's a hairdresser in South Philly. I was photographing her. And her stories were so wild. And she lives in this row house in South Philly. And she's got these two rescue pit bulls. And um, she reminded me of myself in my 20s. I don't photograph myself. But when I met Mo, I just felt this she was like this kindred spirit, and um, wanted to fictionalize her story. But it's like this in this weird place where it's a short narrative film, but it's really her. Mm-hmm. It's her real house, and um, so she's
3: she acts in the film.
2: She's a non actor, but she's the best actor in that movie. Yeah, mm. everybody that's seen it is just like, oh my god, who is she? Mm. You know, she's really charismatic and a wonderful performer, and. Mm. He's got a great sense of humor. Do you
3: have any um any people, uh, filmmakers that you return to regularly that
2: I grew up watching Fellini. My dad's wow. favorite movie was Amicord. Love wow. his work. <laughs> um, okay. you know, I love the um kind of the whole body of the Italian um what's it called? Neorealism with yeah. like the bicycle thief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I like a lot of French New Wave stuff. uh Les Blank is an awesome documentarian. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. films he did about music and food. Sure. Like the film about the Mardi Gras. Uh-huh. I really, you know, made me want to go to New Orleans. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I love movies. I love cinema, yeah. so.
0: So you, um, you're you going back to Juneau for a, a good part of the summer, mm-hmm. or a month, you said, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think you told me earlier that it's... Um, This is a time of year where everybody kind of returns from their exodus or wherever they went to.
2: Yeah, the 4th of July is like the big party time. It's like the family reunion for the whole town. So, you run into, like, your ex-boyfriend from high school at the local food land, the grocery store, and it's a little awkward. A little awkward, <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, you've got five kids, and you look like shit. And <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> we don't have much to talk about. What are you doing? I'm a photographer. Oh, boy. It's going to be a little awkward, yeah. but... Um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited i'm ex- I've got this huge amazing family the my mom's family, the Metcalf family she has eight brothers and sisters, hmm. really close with all of my aunts and uncles and um you know they all come back <laughs> at the family home that's been in my family for like a hundred years wow. um, that my dad remodeled and it it was really falling apart by the time he came into the yeah. picture, so he uh, rebuilt the house and
0: and you get to see your husband. I get i p I'm so excited
2: to see Matt and Dolly, you know, and um, Oh she's over there? Dolly's up in Alaska, yeah. She oh. works on the trail with Maddie. Yep. On the trail? He's works for the Forest Service. He builds trails up there. Oh no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so she's a little uh you know, it's funny. He wears a hard hat and he's like, you know, logging outfits. and He's wearing this, walking around with this tiny little dog. That's well, funny. He's great. He's like the biggest, burliest, handsome man. I don't know how I got this husband. I'm telling you, he's like my gold watch. From we bartended. He taught me how to bartend actually. Wow. And um, he's gorgeous. He's like six foot, blonde. You know, he used to play basketball in high school. Uh-huh. I, I lucked out. <laughs> I always say that he's good looking and embarrass him in front of you know, people. You know? That's nice of especially you, especially when I'm first introducing them. Like, look at my good looking husband. <laughs> Hi, Maddie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I can't wait to see him. That'd yeah. be great. That's
0: great. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be back here, and and you 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 um you're gonna live in the Bronx.
2: I'm living in the Bronx. Now, um, Is he coming back with you? No. He doesn't like New York at all, and so mm. you know if you're gonna do something of consequence with your life. Sometimes it's not always going to be easy. We've been together for like 10 years and we really love each other, but we both really like being on our own too. He's kind of a hermit Mm. and just likes Mm. working in the woods and loves Mm. nature. Mm. So I think we're just going to split our time between Alaska and New York city and, That actually sounds perfect to me. If I could go home for a little bit in the summer, and then if he would come here in the wintertime for part of the time. Yeah, so I would say not the wintertime in Alaska. Yeah, that's rough. I mean, New York's... The winter here has been tough as hell. Yeah. Let's be real here. The last two years... Yeah. Been tough. (laughs) So, yeah, he'll be back around Christmas time.
0: Do you think maybe that... that this, this arrangement is kind of a, an Alaska spirit because I, I mean I know there are, there are fishermen who go and they'll work a whole season and yeah. their, their, their whole job will be three months long or mm-hmm. six months long and then they'll be home for three or six months. Yeah. yeah. And they'll be back out working again. I
2: think it's how I grew up mm-hmm. and I you know a, a lot of people that I say that I'm doing that I'm married are like what you know where is this guy and for me being a woman a lot of the time there's all these expectations of what you're going to do with your life or how it's going to change when you get married. And I've always just run away from that because I want to make this work because I want to, you know, I don't think it's going to be easy. And that's something Mary Ellen talked about was that she decided like she wasn't going to have kids. She made a really conscious choice to devote herself to her work. And I mean, I don't know if I'll have children or not. Um, I think it would be awesome to be a parent, but you have to pay the price to do this. And it's You guys know it's not easy. You make sacrifices. You both have families, and um, you you teach or whatever, and Mm -hmm. so.
0: Do you see that down the road for you teaching?
2: Oh, I love teaching. Mm -hmm. I would love to be great.
0: Yeah.
2: But you got to be some. You got to do something. You know. You got to, like you were telling that story about Tom earlier, jumping on the table, and you know you got to.
3: Yeah. And you got to you got to make a splash.
2: Mm hmm We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. What's gonna happen?
3: Well, when you come, uh, when you go back now over the summer, do um, you go back with a project in mind. Or are you just going to visit? I mean, I no, can't, you like, know me. Come yeah, on, you ha- no, you have <laughs> to keep busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering if like, uh, like, will with the sparrows project is this like a New York kind of project, or is it doesn't matter where it
2: is? Is it universal? Um, I think I used to be worried about that. Like, um, my work's all over the place. Yeah. But I'm kind of all over the place. I remember you know Tom asking me, well. He tried the sports analogies with me for a while, and that didn't work, mm. so we switched to music, because I used to play in bands and okay. sing in bar rooms and stuff, and he said, okay, Patrice, you know, what the hell are you doing here? Let's. What kind of song are you going to sing? Yeah. And I said, well, is it okay if I'm in a couple bands, and I have this one project where I sing the blues, and then this other project where maybe it's a little more folky or whatever? Uh, something mm-hmm.
0: tells me Tom Roma can appreciate that. Yeah.
2: And he, yeah. he was like, okay, but... I think it's okay as long as I have the same feeling about the people if I photograph them wherever they are. So, I'm gonna bring the four by five to Alaska, and then in August I'm going to Italy for a month okay. with with my friend Federico. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of good-looking people over there, so I think it's, <laughs> I think I'll have an okay time. <laughs> yeah it'll be it'll
3: be great so you're gonna be in, i'm sorry you're gonna be in rome
2: i'm gonna be in bologna and bologna. tuscany and okay. just we're gonna kind of drive all over the country okay. and then um i'm gonna to go to paris at the end of that time because um, i one of my best friends from high school was an exchange student that's french great that i've kept oh, in contact wonderful. with that's great yeah. i like you know i'm not dumb i like europe i you know, I know I got to let. La-
3: I'm, I'm, a- a- I'm not dumb. I like Europe.
2: That's my quote. That'll be okay. just like the header of this
0: um, podcast. That'll be the title of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not
2: dumb. So I, I like
0: Europe. I like Europe. Like
2: Europe. <laughs> I know I got to hold on to those buddies. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I think if I have a kid, I'm going to go over there so that they have like health care and stuff. That's, That's right. a good idea. A little Come dual on. citizenship, yeah. maybe. Right. Good That's idea. a good idea.
0: Uh, any uh, final thoughts?
2: No, I'm amazed we went through this twice, and like, <laughs> you guys well, I'm were gonna,
3: great. I'm going to ask the the dopey question, Sure. which is, uh, any advice for upcoming photographers, up-and-coming photographers, or young people who want to get into the kind of photography that we're interested in? Yeah. You know, not commercial, um, but the more the documentary, style. documentary style, personal style kind mm-hmm. of uh,
2: photography. We got to do it for love. You know, that's something that Tom roma talks about um and i think that my dad did all along was he never expected to get anything from it he just did it because he loved doing it and he didn't have a choice i mean if you are going to be a photographer you it has to be something that you can't avoid it has to be something that you know you try to do other things and it doesn't work out because you just can't stop thinking about it um you know and i would say Try to have a real job. Try to have a real life. Learn how to change a tire. Learn how to change your oil. Be somebody that isn't just a bump on a log. Um, But if it's something that you really want to do, don't let anything get in the way of it. I mean, ignore people that say that if you don't have money, you can't do it. Um, But know that it's going to be really hard. You know, um, and you might have to leave everything you care about to make it happen. Uh, And if you're willing to sacrifice and keep working at it, maybe something cool will happen. But um, you're not going to make a living doing it. That's for sure. you just
0: described my life. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, if I I had a brain, I would have been a lawyer. That's what my mom wanted me to do or be a doctor, you know. And I think she's still a little bummed out. She's still like, well, what's next? I mean, okay, you went to Columbia. I'm very proud of you for doing that. But... How are you gonna? How are you gonna make a living? Hmm. So, don't do it unless you uh, love it. Unless you love it and you have to. Yeah.
3: Well,
0: thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Thank you. This was great. Well, thanks again for listening. I've added links to all the different ways you can find our show at thephotoshow.org, and the photoshow is all one word. Uh, there are now links to Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And the feed to SoundCloud is right there as well. Bye, everyone.